welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> welcome back, everybody, to the Flex Success Podcast. My name is Lizzie, and I'm joined with Dean. Hello, everyone. No. The other way around. Uh, we're joined by a wonderful professional in the powerlifting industry, maybe even one of the first guys to properly go online in regards to coaching, way true? back in the day when it comes to powerlifting. Ooh, are you making that Well, ma- mainly doing video, I suppose. Like, So I, would, I should say coaching from a distance as opposed to coaching in person. Okay. Mr. Thomas Lilly. Hello. We're a weakness. Welcome. How are we? We're good. Um, because we like to make the guests do our job for us, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the guests listening who you are, what you're about, what you do and why you do it? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is always weird talking about yourself, right? Uh, my <laughs> name is Thomas Lilly, as you said. Uh, my brand is Zero Weakness. Uh, and I guess I am a powerlifting coach. I wear, I wear a whole bunch of hats. So I own two gyms, um, both under the zero brand. I have a pretty successful online coaching business, uh, online powerlifting coaching or strength coaching mainly. Um, I'm also a nutritionist. That's what I did at university. So I do a lot of nutrition coaching as well. And I am, fuck, I hate to say an educator, but I run a, I run a, a, an education course now, a year long uh, coach development course for, for people with, with strength training. Um, so that's what I do. Why I do it? I don't know. I just do it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Cause you have a deep burning desire to help people. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> yeah. Like it's like why, why you do something now is just a result of where you've ended up really. I mean, why I got into it is, is a different story, I suppose. I got into it because I did have that desire to really help people. And I don't think that fire ever goes away. I think if you're a true coach that um, you, no matter what, still find a huge amount of uh, satisfaction, joy, happiness in seeing people reach the next level, whatever that might be defined as. Mm. Mm. I don't know about you, Thomas, but as um, I did PT before I moved to being an online coach, and I found sometimes my fire was a little bit um, diluted when I got a string of clients that weren't very committed or had a lot of excuses or were in it for the wrong reasons. And like, I agree that the fire doesn't really go away, but for me at least, sometimes it can come in peaks and troughs mm-hmm. until you learn as a coach um, how to screen your clients better or how to set up expectations and stuff better. Do you relate to that at all? Yeah, I'm, I don't know if I completely relate because my uh, entry into this whole coaching thing has been a little bit different. So I'm not a PT. I've never done the PT course and I've never done personal training. Um, and in the span of my uh, coaching career, I haven't actually ever had my business be, uh, be built on the foundations of in-person coaching. Mm-hmm. So while I do do in-person coaching, my, I think my PB for sessions in a week is like 15. Okay. Like I've, I've never done a, a hell of a lot of sessions uh, in a week. And something that, um, you know, we were speaking just before about uh, the fact that I listened to the podcast with Matt the other day, something that you guys talked about on there is this sort of automatic filtering of clients. And it's like over time, uh, that's just kind of happened for me. So I've, I've ended up with people who, uh, A, want to be coached by me and B, have a desire to, um, you know, improve their lifting as it already is. Like they already have that intrinsic motivation where I think yeah. with um, personal training, there's a lot of reliance on, okay, well, I've booked this session. This is my accountability rather than an intrinsic drive to, to be better. Yeah. Um, and I can completely empathize how that must be uh, terrible as someone like yourself who is really driven and really passionate about what you do. Like I can't imagine being a PT. I really empathize with those guys who just, day in, day out, have to put on this happy face with people who don't really want to be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I lasted four weeks. <laughs> you gave it a red hot crack. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was maybe six, but it was. I came from um, doing my prac at uni at the Broncos with heavily motivated individuals. Well, arguably some not so much, just athletically gifted who wanted to earn a certain amount of money playing football, uh, to being told that I probably shouldn't train people that hard or have them, you know, have as much accountability to themselves or even self-respect, I suppose, the decision they wanted to make. And I was just like, ah, this ain't for me, man. This is a sales job. But yeah. do you think that, that worked for you, though? Because was training people your primary income in the beginning? Or was it more of a side gig that progressed into a full-time career? 
Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I started coaching by opening the gym. So, so I already, I already had an income supplemented by, um, by memberships of the gym. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time I worked a, f- a full-time job at the same time. So I worked in the mornings driving forklifts, just what I did through uni. Um, then went to the gym in the afternoon, ran the gym in the afternoon until it was standing on its feet. Uh, and yeah, I don't, I, I think I was never a really good businessman and I'm a terrible salesman. Like the fact that I've ended up where I am is a complete fluke based on the fact that I've been pretty good at coaching. That's it. Like I am not a people person. I'm not a salesman at all. It's been, yeah, complete fluke. I, I would not recommend anyone take uh business advice based on the path that I've taken. <laughs> I'm a prime example of someone who, who faked it till they made it. <laughs> or had uh, their heart in the right place. And yeah. The dollar signs in, in an opportunity, but. Yeah. But also built practice on, on practice. Yeah. You know, I said, built, I don't know. built practice in built his gym and his reputation on his right. practices and he's very good at what he does. Got it, got it, got it. Similar to us, we sell knowledge as our primary product. And then we hope that that knowledge obviously transfers into particular results. Yeah. Actually, it was funny the other day we were talking to someone that lives in our little gated community and they were like, oh, I guess people assume that we sell supplements or like, I don't know, isogenics or some shit. I don't know. Um, and they're like, how are you going? Like, how are you selling products right now? But our product, our brain, <laughs> our skills, our experience, that doesn't go anywhere. And same with yours, right, Thomas? So I, um, I feel quite in a privileged position right now when gyms are closed well actually how's your gym going right now what are you doing with that uh so uh when it all happened i uh i spoke to all of my members individually or myself and my staff spoke to my members individually um and we went about leasing pretty much every single piece of equipment to the to the members to keep their memberships going and keep the keep the brand surviving in the background uh, I'm fortunate enough to have staff, so that makes the business eligible for JobKeeper and have two separate companies. So that that helps a little bit with the government assistance that's coming in. But um, yeah, I mean the the gyms are built on on community, and thankfully we've got a very strong community that's willing to support us as long as they can. And uh, we're really just banking on that for the time being. Oh, that's Ooh. awesome! Wow, that's such a win-win situation because your members get equipment. And you keep their membership fees rolling. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just try to add value, try and stay in touch with them, try and offer them online coaching uh, in the interim, and uh, yeah, just keep as as much value for them as we can through this uh, uh, funny little period we're going through. It is funny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We actually, Dean and I, recorded like countless podcasts in the space of a few weeks, just because we were really pumped about getting the podcast going. And then we only released one a week, so we actually haven't done a podcast since um, the zombie apocalypse. This okay. is the first. It's been four weeks. Has it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, this is the first our listeners are really hearing of of the, the apocalypse. So now if there's 10 members that want the leg press, but you only have two <laughs> leg presses, how do you work that out? Yeah. I mean, it was just a case of like put up a window of time where people could claim stuff, try and be as diplomatic as possible with making sure everyone got a fair share. Also setting up a, a, a couple of like uh, satellite places that had a bit more equipment than everywhere else, knowing that people would be able to share there. Yeah. Uh, I brought a, I brought one of those to, to my house. I've got a whole bunch of people that um, my garage is separate to my house and they can just come and go as they please. As long as we're keeping the social distancing rules and cleaning everything up. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And of course, not charging people money for this. It's just like got to keep the community alive and, and, and keep people training, keep people happy. Yeah. Some people are really stressed out about it. I've uh, seen an individual charging $60 an hour to use their backyard gym, <gasps> which is made on not even backyard quality. Talk about exploitation. <laughs> yeah. I've seen quite a, quite a bit of that going around. I think it's, um, it, it's, it's, easy and difficult to get angry at it. Like I, I, I want to be upset about it, but at the same time, a lot of people have just entered into survival mode because they really mm. uh, didn't, didn't have uh, either. They might've not have had a financial backing. They didn't know what to do. They're panicking. Um, I think as soon as you cross that, that line of being unsafe or uh, exploiting people, then it comes a little bit, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not into that. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Like we, we saw some exploiting early on though, didn't we? Yeah. But I mean, obviously like, you know, if you have a dumbbell and it's worth $2, but someone's willing to pay $10 supply and demand, it's kind of like, you know, good luck to you. But mm. then I also do feel a bit bad about it. Mm. And then, you know, 
is what it is. People have had to get really creative though, haven't they, with their equipment and with their exercises? Yeah, it's been pretty cool to see people having to think about think about outside of the box and, and figure out ways to um, to be able to tick the boxes of certain training modalities or training principles with limited equipment. Mm. Speaking of which, how would you, from a powerlifting background, who coaches mainly powerlifters, think that powerlifters need to shift their focus uh, when they don't have the equipment to squat bench dead? Yeah, so I mean, if you if you you think about powerlifting, our our intensity is driven by load. Uh, when you don't have that load because you don't have access to it, it's about how can we modulate um, intensity to compensate for that lack of load. So, thinking explosive training, thinking lots of tempo stuff, thinking blood flow restriction, maybe switching gears in your training. Now is the time to work more on body composition, getting leaner, getting uh, work capacity up, doing really short rest periods, uh, getting your conditioning up, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, at the end of the day, I get, a lot of it is just uh, putting it into perspective. Like so many people during this period, it's been four weeks, like you said, and uh, you know, that shift from one reality to another reality is really hard to quantify in your head. So a lot of people are stuck in this new reality and they think that this is it. They're real panicky about it. They're like, fuck, I'm going to lose all my games. I'm not going to, you know, I had this comp coming up. I'm not going to be any good for the comps. Like, well, hang on a second. The comp's not going to happen anyway. Um, And strength doesn't just magically disappear and neither does muscle. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you can lose a little bit, but it's, I, I think people really, it's, it's surprising to see how pe- how much people panic over this stuff um, and how much people have lost sight of the reality of what happens when you stop training for a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah. really comforting understanding how things work because I have a client who's eating in a small surplus uh, and he lost 900 grams one week. I don't know what went on. Maybe just like a giant poo or something. Who knows? And <laughs> he was like, but I set him up with a home program. Um, he lives in the States. And gyms closed about two weeks before they did here in Australia. So his gyms closed. I set him up with a home program and he just kind of lost all motivation and didn't train for that particular week where he lost 900 grams. And I gave him some explanations about like what potentially it could be. I theorized, but I said, and he, he was freaking out that he lost 900 grams of muscle because he didn't train in that week. Mm. And, um, it's, it's nice to know (laughs) that that can't occur. Uh, from one week off training and I I can understand why it would be so alarming and frightening to people that don't understand how it works because they think, fuck, I've worked hard for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lose it all in a, like that, that would be alarming for me. Yeah. I honestly think it would be a little bit of a blessing for the strength community as a whole. I think in, in your domain of strength athletes, like if a competition was going ahead, arguably you could say perhaps it's a little bit, uh, more difficult for them to maintain the strength that they've accrued over the course of time without the availability of, of weight or load as a means to, to progress strength than say a bodybuilder who's just looking to hold on to, to the amount of muscle they've grown. But as a whole, I think the strength community, even though we try not to be dogmatic about our beliefs and about how we go about training, everybody's still very just weight training specific focused and they have no concept for any other athletic development like you mentioned. Mm. Uh, so I think it could be maybe a benefit if we have smart people like yourself on the sides of those that are no longer uh, don't, don't that no longer have the opportunity to train with load mm-hmm. to actually express another form of fitness for a point in time. For sure, for sure, it's a, it's it's a good time. Like um, from every perspective of thinking, what's the stuff that I've been neglecting that I can get better at now that I've got the time? And from a training perspective, that's. Uh, that's equally uh, the case, especially with just movement, like you said, athleticism and people so greatly undervalue that stuff. Mm. A guy that lives two doors down, he just got some concrete and made some dumbbells out of concrete. Mad. At least you can't do, um, you can't drop a deadlift on that. <laughs> that's, that's very true. <laughs> you can't. What's some um, resourceful equipment or exercises you've seen your clients do? Oh, that's a good question. Um, to be honest, like the, the majority of people that I've been coaching have uh, somehow managed to maintain access to gyms and gym equipment. Like a lot of them train at community style gyms like me that have been able to lease out equipment or they've been able to rapidly get themselves uh, a hold. And the ones that have lost everything, a lot of them have just said, hey, you know, you're, I understand I'm a high quality, high, uh, high end coaching service that costs a lot of money. And it looks like if you, if you're not going to utilize it to its full benefit, just put it on hold. And a lot of people have done that as well. Um, 
I guess uh, the, just giving people ideas like squatting off of wheelie bins or setting up a, a rack off wheelie bins, building building racks out of wood and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's it's cool to see. It's it's, uh, it's kind of scary. It's like this, this massive influx of homemade stuff. It's are we going to see a massive influx of people getting fucked up by this homemade stuff? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Falling apart. It's just like that's the next step as long as this goes on. Yeah, far out. Maybe it'll be natural selection. <laughs> We could call it the COVID crusader whereby the, the typical bro mindset of individual who does just get a two by four and think that it can hold for 300 yeah. the weight. If he, if he cracks and breaks, well, maybe you weren't made for this. Oh, I feel like I'm training doing like prison style workouts when I train right now. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's forcing people to become a little bit more cerebral, a, a little bit more connected to what they're trying to train. Like rather than just grabbing a bar and flinging it around and calling it a bicep curl, like yeah. grabbing a band and actually focusing on, you know, controlling where your joints are in space and feeling the full contraction and that kind of thing. And I mean, you can talk about that being woo-woo or whatever. Um, but I, I think uh, being cerebral and being able to feel things and being able to control things is only going to be a huge benefit when you start getting back to those bigger systematic lifts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because people aren't training so specifically anymore and maybe losing a little bit of skill. How competitive do you think the first few meets back are going to be? Oh, it's really hard to say because that's all going to hinge on when the first few meets sort of start running. Yeah. Um, the aspect of skill, I think, is another thing that people, yeah, you'll be a, a, few, a bit rusty, you know, the first couple of times you get under the bar, but it's just like riding a bike. You'll get it back really quickly. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's one of the first, fastest things to express, right? Mm. That, mm. that neural adaptation. So it'll be proximity to gyms opening relative to, to meets, I guess. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, if we're shut down for three months, six months, whatever it may be, if, if there's eight weeks worth of access to a gym and load and the ability to go back into specificity, I can't imagine, uh, provided there's a big asterisk on this, that you spend your time right now doing Being productive. the necessary training to be productive, like was just said, then I can't imagine there'd be a hell of a lot of shift. It'd be fucking cool to see some wins come out of it, that's for sure. Mm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Is there, is there any like particular attributes within the powerlifting community that you see as weaknesses in regards to the, the, the focuses that they take to become a stronger athlete that could potentially become strengths in this phase? Yeah, absolutely. Mo- movement and stability are the biggest things. Um, you know, uh, powerlifting is not a, not a particularly nice sport in terms of the selection of the lifts that we're doing. Um, and as a result of that, if you're, if you're not controlling certain variables, think like you know, a low bar squat is a horrible position to put your body in. You need a, you need a huge amount of flexibility and control through your shoulders to be able to do that without beating up your shoulders over time. Um, and there's so much weird, uh, weird and incomplete logic in the strength world. Uh, things like, you know, Oh, you want to, you want to have better shoulders, your upper back's weak, do rows. Like that's such a, such an incomplete way of thinking of things. Like if you're doing a row to your stomach, right. And your shoulders are ending at like your elbow in line with your torso, but in a squat, you need it another couple of inches behind you. You're not training that range. You're never getting better at that range. And I think a lot of powerlifters have really strong muscles that are, you know, small stabilizing muscles are really strong, but they're terrible with their range. Mm. So this is a perfect opportunity to be challenging new ranges, especially because to challenge and improve range, you need very, very, very limited resistance. So now that you're limited with your access to resistance using the tiniest little bands, you can really start to challenge range. And it is twice as hard as lifting a big weight because not only is it physically challenging, but it's also very, very, very mentally challenging because it has to be perfect. So working on stability and and figuring out ways of how you can make that specific to where you need it when you lift weights um, is an excellent opportunity to be working on right now. And stuff that's so easy to ignore when you've got a three hour session to complete. Yeah, it's all the afterthought stuff. Are you, have you found any effective ways to get buy-in from your athletes on these things at this time? Because like you said, like they're used to putting X amount of kilos on their back and then you're saying, hey, man, can you just pick up this, you know, five kilo resistance band and do the following exercise? And they're like, sure, buddy, that's going to make me stronger. Like, how do you get buy-in on an individual who is so like, I think, you know, cognitively driven by, by weight? Yeah, I think um, a big part of that is, you know, I said I'm not a good salesman in terms of like selling someone into buying things. I'm a good salesman when it comes to convincing people of concepts and importance of uh, particular things like that. So um, it's about, you know, uh, you as a coach or as a leader, 
um, need to have a really convincing reason as to why this is so important for that person at this point in time. And I think I'm good at that. Um, and the, the other buy-in is just because they don't have anything else to do and they want to do something. Um, so uh, people have become a lot more open to just like accepting, okay, this is the new reality and this is what you can do to be productive in this time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that really drives home the point, like even with nutrition or sleep or whatever, it doesn't matter what's optimal. It matters what's doable. Like the most optimal program, if you don't do it, that's a shit program. Like I could write someone stuff with squat bench dead right now, but they don't have access to a gym. So that's a shitty pro. So even with nutrition, we tell people, okay, you're going away on a work trip and your work has booked you a hotel room with no kitchen. You can't food prep. That's cool. You can go buy stuff that doesn't require cooking. So just do what you can. Mm-hmm. And I guess the same principles are applying here. Yeah. Chasing optimization is often going to lead to failure, at least psychologically, because you put yourself up too much pressure i reckon out of all of the people that we know within this entire fitness community i could name one person that probably optimizes training and nutrition almost 24 7 and that would be brandon kempter oh yeah he does but but basically (laughs) nobody else right like he is the one true nut that's like i'm in this i'm I'm gonna ride or i'm gonna die and i'm gonna do everything right i I love brandon when, when he was in prep he um because uh, he he coaches out of the gym, yeah. Um, and he was there on a, on a Friday, and he we got a new monster. We got the the green monster, and it's got it's got eight calories or whatever. I think it's got one or two more calories than the white monster. It's just the slightest difference in profile. And he got it out. He read the label, uh, and he he opened it and started drinking it. And he was standing at the bin, and he got like four grains of rice and threw it in the bin. I'm like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, oh, because the calories are different. So I, you know. Like fuck, that's like that. That's the epitome of of Brandonisms, right there. Like, yeah, it's it's a new word for eroticism. It's Brandonism. Yeah, Kemptisms. Yeah. Well, yeah. the dude gets pretty fucking shredded. So, oh, <laughs> hats off to him. He's all class in regards to the result that he achieves. But fuck me, it's yeah. the amount of commitment he is. He, I legitimately believe. I sorry, I legitimately mean that too. Like, he's probably one of the few people, if not the only person I've ever met, that is just that on point. Most of the time. Oh, but you know, this is coming from a guy who made me weigh parsley in his first conference. I did do that once. Part like why would I have to weigh parsley? So I didn't have to get rid of four grains of rice. (laughs) (laughs) Dean learnt after that comp prep not to be Uh, such a dick mm. over like maybe half a calorie. It's true. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) That's so funny. I Um, really envy his uh his his drive when it comes to training like the intensity that that guy brings to every single exercise and every single session like i envy that yeah Mm. we went out to brandon with brandon for dinner during his off season like a couple of years ago yeah and i think he was like an hour or maybe an hour and a half late um because he was finishing off his leg press i was like was the leg press really that important mind you we were eating at a A restaurant restaurant that was just down from the gym where it was runaway bay turned it to Zero weakness and change location. So it was like, dude, we're right there. And we gave him like two hours. <laughs> and I remember him saying, oh, I'm running just a little bit late. I'll be, and we, we sat in the restaurant for 45 minutes. I think it was longer. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but anyways, oh, anyway, that's funny. But, um, so speaking of not being optimal, um, because some of your work may have shifted because people can't take full advantage of a premium service right now. Um, I understand you're doing some coach development stuff online, like free webinars so that you can fill your space with, um, or just, just feeling more useful. So tell us a bit about that, why you decided to do that. Yeah. It's not even filling my space or or feeling more, more useful. It's more so, um, like you guys were saying, uh, you know, your, your business is built on your brain kind of thing. Um, and I feel like, uh, a lot of people are in, in, uh, a lot less fortunate position than I am in terms of business right now and a, a kind of panicking and a kind of, uh, you know, wigging out a little bit. It's just something that I felt like I could do to add value for people and something that I felt like I should do. So I did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. It's yeah, this, there's genuinely no agenda with it besides giving back and uh, providing some free information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not doing any sort of marketing uh, in that, I mean, you could inadvertently say it's marketing just by putting information out there, but that's not the intention. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's good fun as well. Loving Tell it. me about it. What sorts of things would you learn? Uh, so the, the, 
uh, I'm doing two of them a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays is a, is a one man show. That's just me. And Thursdays is a bit of uh, interview. So bringing other people on. Um, and on the Tuesdays, I'm, I'm just running through a series. So the first one was on, uh, you know, what's the importance of good technique. And I go really in depth on that because that's the foundation of my, my coaching. That's what all my principles are built around. And then over the next three weeks, it's putting that into practice. So my belief is that, um, within movement, there's certain, uh, there's certain principles or certain biomechanical rules that apply to everyone, no matter who you are. And I build the technique around these three rules that apply to each lift. So over the next three weeks, I'm going through squat, bench, deadlift, and individual sessions. From there, I don't know what I'll, what I'll do. I don't know if I'll continue them or see where the gyms are at at that stage or whatever. Um, and then on the Thursdays, I'm just kind of getting on whoever wants to come on and talk. So if you guys want to come on and talk about nutrition on Thursday at 6 o'clock, be my guest. I'd love that. Sure. Can do. Sure. Talk Always a lot, does. though. But you put we you on the spot on the podcast. On so, so it can now be date night. Yeah, okay, it can be day and night. <laughs> what are we doing? Because so, Dean and I, as you know, are married, um, have mutual friends and also live together. So we're like with each other all the time. Um, and we seem to talk about work a lot because when you, as you know, have a business and have staff, there's, there's a lot to talk about. So we take the second half of Thursday, so lunchtime onwards, to go on a date. Um, and no work talk is allowed. And we like just be partners for the first time in the whole week. Um, but it's really challenging to do that with this lockdown because like, where can we go? Like, Hey, you want to go for a bike ride again? Mm. <laughs> like, what do you want to have a picnic in the kitchen? Of which is even being limited because fucking people from Brisbane keep driving down to the cold. Yeah. You bastards. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. In a shut down our beaches. This is, well, there we have some of them. Uh, I, um, I hear you before you were talking about just things that people can do. And I thought, what can, God, I wonder if I frame this correctly, but, but in your conversations before you were saying how you have certain principles biomechanically that you believe all people will at least have to abide by to some distinction for, for some of their lifts. Uh-huh. And yet we have, I've also heard you talk about basic questions from individuals. Like if I said to you, Tom, like how, what's the best bench press technique and how that's just an oversimplification of a question that you never can really give the answer to. Uh-huh. What are some of the, the, the general principles though, that you think people can apply to some of these three lifts that can at least put them into better positions or maybe perhaps even safer positions? Yeah, cool. So, you know, that, that second part of the statement when you said, you know, what's the best bench press technique, maybe that's something that I would have said before I changed my opinion on this or before I, the one thing with doing the, the coach development course uh, that I've sort of built over the last couple of years um, is that it's really, really uh change the way or solidified solidified the way that I look at things. And I think as a coach, you're, you're always going to be ever changing and ever growing and all of that kind of thing. So let me expand on the, the principles a bit here. So what I mean by that is like, I guess the best analogy to think about is like, let's say you bust up your shoulder at the gym, you go to a physio, they don't take a picture of your shoulder. They don't take a CT scan and MRI and then send it away to a, like a cast modeling group that makes a perfect re- reconstruction of your shoulder, send it back to them so they can pull it out and say, here is your shoulder. Here's what you've done. Here's how we're going to fix it. No, they just reach under their disc and pull out a, a model of a shoulder. And they say, this is a shoulder. You have a shoulder. This is how a shoulder works this is dysfunctional with your shoulder. This is what we're going to do to fix it, right? So you have shoulders. I have shoulders. Lizzie has shoulders. We all have shoulders and they all generally work the same, even though we're building different shapes and sizes and different lengths and all this kind of stuff, right? So the principles are built around the fact that, uh, around that fact that, you know, you have hips, I have hips, you have shoulders, I have shoulders, you have a torso, I have a torso. So for example, when you squat, the way that you stand is going to be different based on the individual where you angle your feet is going to be different based on the individual, but the, uh, the position that you're trying to express is going to be the same, whoever you are. And that position is going to be related to, okay, you need to create stability in your hips and hold that throughout the movement. There's no lifter that any coach is going to say, Hey, when you deadlift, don't breathe and brace. I want you to have the most rounded, horrible back possible. So that's an example of someone or a biomechanical rule that everyone's using without calling it a biomechanical rule. You know, it's just something that they abide by uh, because everyone has a torso, a spine. Everyone needs to take power from the hips and transfer it into the bar. So that's what I'm talking about with biomechanical rules. And in general, I have three of them for each lift. So squat is like, well, if I'm speaking generally, rule number one is always where do we get the power from? Rule number two is going to be about uh, how do we start to transfer the power from there into the bar? And rule three is like what facilitates that power at the other end. Um, so in terms of creating better positions, I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's hard to expand on that without going really, really deep. 
Mm. And individually specific, I imagine too. That's kind of the whole point I think I was kind of getting at here is that everybody wants a rule for a lift, Mm. you know, that we can all abide by outside of the ones that you've mentioned, obviously, uh, but rather that you should always, you know, have your hands at shoulder width apart or you should always tuck your elbows or you should Mm -hmm. always flare your elbows or, you know, if you're going to eccentrically load a squat, it has to be with knees flared versus knees forward and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, you know. People love though, like those strict universal rules, even with nutrition and people are like, okay, what are the bad foods that I should avoid? Mm. What are the five foods that make you lose belly fat? Like no, <laughs> there's, there's certain universal rules that apply to everyone, like energy balance, for example. Um, but it's also so individually specific as well. Um, and there's so much room for movement within those boundaries, yeah. but that's just not sexy because people can't like, oh yeah, Lizzie, told me this one paragraph and now that I know what to do. You need to learn the principles and learn how to apply that. Well, that's exactly right. It's about taking these principles. And I mean, that's why we have jobs is because we have a really in-depth understanding of the foundations of these principles. And then we can turn it into something simple for the person, for the end user. Right. Mm. Um, And it's like the, the, I see the principles of squat bench deadlift very, very, very simply because I understand every complex feed in factor that contributes to being able to articulate those principles Um, and being able to articulate that to the average person in, in two minutes is a, pretty pretty rough task but that's the whole reason you pay a coach yeah yeah that's true yeah it's tough because like if i'm if i'm an individual coming to you knowing you've got the brains within your domain i'm like i trust that your decisions in the the cues that you give me would be correct but i'd want to know why then the why always comes with a very large explanation plus the asterisk of it depends mm-hmm. but also like you could just say hey dean move move your hips in this direction I'm like okay man like i trust that because you do have the complexity understanding which is just a very tough thing to do sometimes i think from individuals they can't just like listen learn uh and and accept sometimes you don't want them to of though. course yeah yeah how much of the why do you explain to your clients or do you wait to be asked no, I definitely don't wait to be asked. So like, let's say you come in to see me for a, a technique session. I hesitate to word, use the word scripted, but it's definitely a process, a process that's been tried and true and tested. Um, and the process is very, very, very well thought out with the language that's included in it. Um, so uh, the process is iterative. It is uh, aimed to convince you and explain to you that this is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And then if the person wants a deeper biomechanical answer to that, I'm happy to expand on that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was something, uh, I don't know about you, Dean, but I learned by fire because I don't want my clients because I'm not the Bible. I don't want them just to like, listen to what I say and do it. I want them to know why, because I feel like they're more likely to actually apply it if they understand the importance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd be like, Hey, this week I'd like you to make this adjustment. And here's a fucking novel mm. about why. And then people just wouldn't read it or didn't understand it or like whatever. Um, and then I think that I counteracted too much and I was like, okay, TMI Lizzie, like, less and then i think maybe i was giving not enough and then people didn't understand the importance and so now i feel like eventually i found my middle ground kind of like what you've done just a quick like oh and here's why it's important and then if i'm asked for a deeper explanation i'm like cool here's a youtube video from this person that explains this aspect and like and i'll explain this um because i think finding that middle ground is certainly important yeah yeah. yeah, for sure. I, th- I think there's a real issue with people that uh, just tell you what to do and expect you to do what they're saying, um, because I think that's that's probably that's probably an indication that that person doesn't have a, an in-depth understanding of what they're trying to explain or trying to get you to do. Um, but then I'm also very wary of the people that over-explain everything because I feel like there might be a bit of a complex there. Like mm. a, you know, you need um, the clients to know why they're smart or something. Is that what you mean by the complex? No, a complex with the person. I'm not talking about you specifically, because uh, obviously I don't know what you talk about, and what you do. Um, but you know, you, you see people like over explaining because they don't know. So it's almost like they're trying to explain to themselves and they're just, right. you know, dribbling out this word vomit. I think when you have a really, really in-depth understanding of something, you've got an automatic translator between here and your mouth, right? It just yeah. kind of filters out and it comes out in English. Um, and I think there's a real art and a real skill to being able to do that. Yeah. You can be pithy. Mm. Yeah. Something that I've learned over the years. There can be minimalism in everything. There can be minimalism in yeah. everything. Um, now, Thomas, on a separate topic, I know that you mentioned that you did nutrition at UK, Yes. And I've heard on your podcast mentioning that you did public health as your major. Yes. 
um, which makes you a coronavirus expert. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) So I have some Corona questions for you. Oh, Jesus. I'm the wrong person to ask that. (laughs) I I knew you'd love this. It's not really. Um, (laughs) But what do you think will come first? Herd immunity or a vaccine? Oh, wow. 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 What a question. Um, I think the greater public health community will be very anti-seeking herd, herd immunity, uh, in Australia, if we're talking specific to Australia yeah. versus like one of these countries that has been completely riddled by the thing, uh, because in those countries it, it, it might be out of control to the point where herd immunity does come first. Okay. Um, but the only way to get herd immunity in Australia would be, um, a very controlled spread. Uh, and I mean, how the fuck do you do that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I like. I I want to make predictions on what's going to happen, but it's it's not my thing. I can everything's changing so fast. All the information we're getting is changing so fast. It's full on. It really it's is. It's also true. mixed message. That's the biggest difficulty right yeah. now. Is trying Don't to, go to the gym, but do go to the hairdresser, that sort of thing. Yeah, and trying <laughs> to find trust in the information provided from varying individuals because because it's such an unknown thing, there's no real like true information, but rather you're relying on people that probably have a better principal understanding, just like we're talking with coaching today, to to try and you know extrapolate potential causality or correlation or whatever it may be. It's super weird. Yeah, I think a few things we can be sure of. Um, Bill Gates is behind it. 5G is the enemy and uh, toilet paper is the hero. Absolutely. Duh. (laughs) If they're not the take-homes you've got from this, guys, you're dumb. That's also not the pithy bit that we put in this podcast. (laughs) Talking a powerlifting legend, Thomas, and then it's like... (laughs) <laughs> toilet paper is that's going to be a soundbite it may even be the hero in powerlifting because <gasps> you know strains thomas dean and i bought a house a week ago by the way oh congratulations and thank you thank you um the toilet is inside the shower downstairs so who cares about not being able to buy toilet paper because our toilet that. is inside the shower you heard that right why, why is the toilet inside i don't know the shower? because I they took the master ensuite which was all busted up and they just converted into a powder room toilet upstairs between two bedrooms and then they wanted a shower still obviously and they shifted that downstairs so for those watching on youtube you can take a look you can see it just hiding in the background there can you see the toilet yeah i can yeah that's what? yeah that's actually fantastic you know what the oddest thing is, though, is that people have this. It, this is, man, there's, there's a lot of um, analogous discussion around training and simplicity, weirdly, with the toilet in the shower. Go on. A beginner says, you comes in, they go, I want the best bench, therefore, if I do this, A plus B equals C, no thought about any extra stuff around it whatsoever. When we've shown people the toilet in the shower, they go, oh, so you have to shower in your own poo smell? It's like, well, no, you don't have to shit every time before you shower. <laughs> Like there's an association of toilet and shower that they must go together every time we tell somebody, (laughs) or you're just going to shit and then shower. Will you wipe? Yeah. Most of the time I probably won't shower after I go to the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) I poo more often than I shower. Uh, Let it be a lesson to us all that bidets are the future. Man, I want the moment moment we uh, create our forever home and build it or modify a bathroom i'm buying a japanese toilet yeah absolutely i have yeah and i would find excuses to take a shit so i could use it (laughs) i didn't like him that much Uh, it freaked me out that's because she kept messing with the front one instead of the back one (laughs) and it was surprising her I'm pretty sure I had a hemorrhoid or something at the same time as well. So it felt really <laughs> relieving. Like it was super itchy. So you just get it on like high pressure and just sit there and say, oh, oh and my God, that's so- eyes roll into the back of your head. It's fantastic. Oh. Play some music. It's, you know, <laughs> did, did, you, did you try it day one or did it take you a little bit of time to uh, build some courage? No, man, I'm, I'm all about immersing myself in the culture immediately. Day one. <laughs> so I, um, did a number one in a supermarket, not supermarket, uh, like 7-Eleven toilet, whatever. And there's, for those of you that haven't been to Japan, there's, you can choose whether you want your front bum or your back bum splashed. At least you can as a girl. Mm. There's sound effects that you can make on the toilet, I guess, to like mask the sound of you going to. Anyway, I can't read the Japanese letters or symbols. So I was just like, I don't know which one the flush is. And I was trying to figure out where the flush was. And, um, there was a little kind of like flushing symbol on the toilet. Oh, next. Got... So I was like, oh, that's the one. So I pressed it and I heard the toilet flushing. 
nothing was actually flushing. I was like, what the fuck? Am I tripping right now? <laughs> I can hear it. But I, turns out it was just a flushing sound effect. Amazing. I was so freaked out. I haven't really <laughs> understood that one. What do you mean? Like, why would you make the flushing sound? Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's a normal sound in a toilet and it's Mm. better than people hearing your uh, deposits. Yeah. You're a fairly well-traveled fella too, Thomas. Where in the world do you think has bad toilets and where has good toilets? (laughs) Ah, see, I'm guessing you're like me and like a lot of your country analysis is based on your toilet experience. Um, (laughs) Correct. There's been certain countries where I thought for sure would have terrible facilities that had great facilities. So South Africa was one of those. Like you'd go into like a real dingy looking tourist sort of location and think this is going to be horrendous. And then it's like, you know, the Taj Mahal when you enter the toilet building. (laughs) Um, Southeast Asia is always just the worst. Yeah. I peed on my foot in Southeast Asia, in Cambodia. Not 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 on purpose. I was doing a W, you know, like water closet toilets, like a hole in the floor. And I was a little drunk. And so my feet were planted either side of the hole. And I think my drunkenness, I just swayed my hip. And I was like, oh, that's my foot. Um, I was only wearing thongs at the time. And I was, I was in Vang Vien, if anyone knows that river there. So I just went into the river and it was fine. God, Thomas, I have so many toilet stories for you. How long do we have? Well, my, my least, and, and I, this pains me to say, because one of my favorite places in the world in general is the United States, right? But I hate USA toilets and I hate USA urinals. So the urinals in the USA go like all the way down to the ground. So I don't have great reach when it comes to mm. urinating. So I always kind of just dribble down into the bottom. So then it just splashes all over you. And then the <laughs> toilets, the water is like almost at the top of the bowl. So really? like there's a no way to do like a ninja piss in the middle of the night without making it sound like a fucking waterfall. Um, and because the water's so high, it's just like splash city. It's the worst. Yeah, that is high. Far out. Have you ever peed in the United States? No. Oh, well, yeah, of course I have. I was there for a couple of weeks, but I don't remember the toilet specifically. I don't think I was probably as into being aware of like variation in countries as probably what I am now. Like, you know, I go and I take stock, you know, like, oh, so they do that here. And, you know, Look, I oh, know that's, that's the McDonald's burger of Belgium, you know. <laughs> Everyone joined this podcast to hear toilet stories. So you're welcome. And Dean has a confession about how he wees in the middle of the night. It's not a confession. This is this it's is fucking weird. Dan. This isn't weird. It this is, is going to help a lot of men in this world that no. do not want to be woken up in the middle of the night. No. So, on a drunken night when I was younger, I realised when I got to the toilet in the middle of the night that I was way too drunk to be pissing standing up, and I didn't want to turn on the light. So, because I was just drunk, the easiest thing was I'm currently standing at the foot of the toilet. What do I do? I just sat down, forwards facing, reverse kanga style, face to the system. <laughs> Put my head on the system, like, oh, this sucks, and peed. So you right? strapped the toilet backwards. And then Liz and I move into a one-bedroom apartment together, and she makes her way to the toilet in the middle of the night one night, and I'm there in the middle of the night doing the same pee. She looks at me, I look at her, I just went, yeah, this is happening. And then she was just caught him, sort of mortified. We both go back to bed, she forgets, and then the next day she had this moment like, oh, my fucking God, I just remembered that you were sitting on the toilet to pee. So anyway, backwards, backwards, reverse. And the reason is, is because as you said, Tom, depending on how tall you are, depending on how long you are, (laughs) there's going to be varying uh, abilities of reach for for men that pee. And in the darkness, you're almost always just trying to say, please hit water first, because that's your reference point for success. The hole is so large that you have. Yeah, but you don't know where you are. If if you hear splashing and it's not water splash and you're like, oh, I hope that's not the seat. It could be the porcelain. Let's shift left. Oops, still no water. Should I shift left further and potentially hit the seat or should I go right? Maybe I'll make it to the water. So there's this big game, you know, of like trying to find the water as a man. So now I want to stay asleep. So I just walk into the toilet, middle of the night, sit down, reverse, head on the system, continue sleeping. You piss into the water every time. Then you go back to bed. You don't even know what's happened. Amazing. You are welcome, gentlemen of the world, listening to this podcast. I'm sorry, ladies, that your men are going to be doing this weird shit now. <laughs> every time she's tried... Every time she's tried to like take the piss out of me and tell people about it, and then I've explained, so proud of I've it. explained the why, they've all gone, huh, good idea. No, it's fucked up. Can't argue with the logic. Okay, so America's the worst. Are you going to do so it, Tom? Are you going to sit on the toilet backwards? Yes. Are you? I'm so, yes. I'm so disappointed in men in general. That's <laughs> uh, funny. We're smart. Mm. I would say just uh, my reference would be Europe had some really weird toilets where they had the hole at the tip of the porcelain. 
Yeah. The water at the seeded section. Yeah. Very little water so that there was no submersion. Okay. Yeah. I think before so I go got... ahead and tell poo stories from the Inca Trail where I nearly no, fell into a poo, I think we should move on. Yeah. So, go. Thomas, uh, tell our listeners um, how you would spend your last day on Earth if you knew you only had 24 hours left to live. Oh, wow. Mostly eating, I would say. <laughs> Um, what eating, hanging out with my dog. Um, it's such a hard question because you you wish that you could have like teleportation skills. Like, is is the assumption that you're at at home and like limited to where you can get to you can in twenty four hours? The fuck you want? You can be super. Yeah. Wow. Well, it has, um, to be, it has to be humanly possible. Does it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. Sorry, he's constrained your last twenty four hours. I apologize. Yeah, I get. I, a, a lot of it would just involve Buddy. Buddy's the best. He's my man. Well, yeah, spending time with loved ones. Yeah, I, I guess that's a pretty generic answer. And world peace. <laughs> Not really. Um, We've had people say that they would die of a drug overdose and just, oh, no, that was how you would die. Weirdly, yeah. we had Eric Helms and Maddie Stenzel gave the exact same answer to both questions. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Super weird. Um, what is something weird that people might not know about you, like hobbies or interests that you have? Um, hobbies or interests. Um, not everyone knows that I play classical piano. Like that's that's my jam. Um, I didn't know that. Most most of the time, uh, the only music I listen to is classical piano. So um, yeah, that's my thing. That is interesting. How did you get into that? Yeah, there we go. There's my hey. setup. Nice. I've been playing since I was a kid. Just on and off for years and years and years, yeah. Cool. Yeah, nice. Sometimes I used to play the piano when I was young, and um, I just I have you know strict wog parents, and so my mum was like, "You must practice one hour a day." And as a kid, an hour is a long time just to sit there. And an hour turned into two hours, which turned into three hours, and I was like, "Fuck this! I don't want to play anymore," and I gave up. But it's it's like soothing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really meditative, hmm. for sure. Hmm. You, you can't grow your nails long. Yeah, that's true. I feel like Will would be half decent at piano. He's good dexterity. <laughs> dexterity, yeah, he does. Dexterity. Dexterity. It's the Kiwi version of dexterity. All right, we're going to do Would You no, Rather, first, Thomas? Before we do that, we oh. just uh, the, the motto of this uh, podcast, if you haven't realised also, Tom, is how to be less shit. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to ask you for a tip on how to be less shit as a coach in the powerlifting world and how to be less shit as a powerlifter. Oh, good. Um, how to be less shit as a coach. Um, how, if I had to, if I had to narrow down one thing, it would be really uh, related to your cueing and really figuring out what you're trying to achieve. Like, what's the biomechanical action that you're trying to achieve with the cueing? Stop cueing what something looks like. Stop cueing knees out. Stop cueing elbows in. Stop cueing what things look like. Think about what is the biomechanical action that's causing this breakdown of this problem to occur. Um, figure that out, and then learn how to cue for that. That's going to be so, so, so helpful in, in terms of coaching. How to be less shit as a, as a power lifter or like a client? No, like an athlete power lifter. Or what we were talking about before, the range stuff, the stability stuff. Do that stuff. Stop complaining to your coach. Stop complaining to your friends and yourself about certain areas of your body being sore because you do absolutely nothing to improve them. We have a podcast coming up with, this is round two with Nathan Kelly and we're talking just about that. Mm. So if listeners want to take a deeper dive, that will be released in a few weeks. Look nice. out. And seeing as you brought it up, how to be less shit as a powerlifting client. Oh. Or as just a client, a training client in general. Yeah. Um, if you've got a problem, bring it up. Don't let things fester. Don't complain to all your friends. Oh, my coach isn't doing this for me. Don't complain to other coaches. Oh, I'm thinking about leaving my coach. Talk to your coach about it. Figure it out with them. And if you can't get past that, then you can make the decision to move on. Don't fester on issues. That's what your coach is there for. Gosh, as a coach myself, I love direct communication from clients. So double ticks to that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then before we move on to the, the final round, which is actually the shittiest round, intended. <laughs> um, anything worth sharing, mate, that you've read, listened, watched, other value to the people that are listening? So I had to think about this and I, ho- yeah. I hope it's not too generic of an answer, but I think one thing that um, as a society we're shit at, as business owners we're shit at, as in general we're shit at is just money. Like, 
our parents were shit at money. We don't get taught how to be good with money at school. We're really left to our own devices to figure it out. So if you want really basic, like accounting money sort of information, again, as generic as it sounds, it's a fantastic resource. Read The Barefoot Investor. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's on our bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did. Opened up an orange everyday account because of it. We did. <laughs> It yeah, is. I, th- I think that's a scary th- and and this is my takeaway message to most people with, with most things like this the scary thing is like oh now i have to commit to some sort of systems like well you don't but read the principles and try and learn something from the principles try and apply that way of thinking to your finances you don't necessarily have to do exactly what he does he's just trying to make it really easy for the plebs but if you've got a, a good free thinking mind you can do a bit more research yourself and you can figure out things yourself in a system that's going to work for you that sort of outlay of principles is fantastic absolutely what i really liked about the book is it was actionable like i've read plenty of good books in the past and it's like oh that's all good in theory but he makes you stop and do something before you move on to the next chapter so Mm. it's a really good step-by-step process i felt Mm. yeah i think if nothing else this old covid saga will uh teach the personal training industry the importance of money management for sure, uh, residual income management more than likely, and also that they have to pay their taxes because they won't get <laughs> benefits when they show that they've only lost fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah, 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 especially with like those sort of mid-range personal trainers that are sort of sort of break on the on the verge of breaking into something quite big, um, that are like you know doing things sneaky and just doing cash and not taking out a company and not putting on staff and that kind of thing. Like, if there's any wake-up call to be saying do things by the books because there's a lot of benefit to doing things by the books. This is it. Mm, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They, they soon realize they can't afford their $80,000 car when they don't have income coming in. Yeah. But, um, would you rather time? Oh, we're going to do a single. Or are you going to go for a best of oh, it's a oh. single? Unless it's been, mm, oh, no, it's no, we've already had that one before. I believe oh, on the podcast. It was about poo. So I yeah, it's weird. It is very weird that we chose a poo question. That was the stencil one. Yeah. Was it? Would you yeah. rather have eyes the size of a tennis ball or the size of a pea? <laughs> oh, a tennis ball for sure. Really? You look like a goldfish. Yeah, but I wouldn't want weird little beady eyes. That's weird. You want huge giant eyes instead? Think yeah. You can see. Think of all the things I can see. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, there was, there was a, one of the mayor candidates that I specifically didn't vote for because I didn't like how his eyes were placed on his head. Oh, Thomas. I mean, it sounds shallow, but it really weirded me out. Well, likability um, is one of the biggest predictors of candidate election. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but the problem is, is so many of them look so bad. <laughs> there was one guy, Eddie, on the Gold Coast, because there was a recent election up here, yeah. down here for you. Um, <laughs> you just look like your drunken uncle that touches you when, at Christmas. I'm glad we didn't say his last name. (laughs) I'm sure he's a great guy. I know nothing about his policies, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that is true. Um, Well, thank you for your time, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Reach out to you, your gym, your coach, coach development program, catch you on social media. Where can they find you? Yeah. So you can find me on Facebook, Thomas Lilly, or on Instagram, Tombar seven. The business page on Instagram is zero underscore weakness. On Facebook, it's just zero weakness. You'll find it on there. Um, website is zero.com.au. Uh, zero is with a W on the end, by the way. Okay. Is that because zero without a W was taken? No, because zero weakness. Oh, zero weakness, that's yeah. It's a play on words. Ah. It's zero, but also zero weakness. I see, I see. But also right. zero. Got it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks again for your time, Thomas. It's been great. Uh, thank you very much. And we'll chat soon. Sweet. Thanks, Mike.